Hi everyone, welcome to our podcast, Breathe In, Write Out, a podcast for high school, college, and university students about making the most out of academic life. We touch on study skills, student life, career transition, overall well-being, personal development, and other topics that impact young adults. At the end of each podcast, we send our listeners off with a short guided meditation and writing prompt. We hope that through these discussions, meditations, and writing exercises, we can build an open, caring, compassionate community that supports personal growth. I'm Lisa Fow, the founder and CEO of Fow Academic Writing, where we focus on teaching young adults the communication skills necessary to reach their full potential on the page and in life. Get into a cozy spot, grab your pen and notebooks, and let's meet our first guest. This week's episode discusses some of the mental health challenges that students encounter and strategies to create a healthier study environment. Despite campaigns put forward by governments and corporations in the last decade that encourage a more open discussion about mental health, there are still a number of stigmas and taboos that surround mental health concerns, particularly mental health struggles that are connected to addiction. During this episode, we hope to deconstruct some of these stereotypes associated with mental illness and addiction, and instead present an empathetic, compassionate, and sensitive framework to discuss the sometimes bumpy journey to mental wellness. This week's guest is Holly Smith, a Ganyake Haga Mohawk of the Haudenosaunee peoples of the Six Nations and the Grand River Territory. She is an experienced clinical occupational therapist in the field of mental health and substance use, who currently works as a clinical manager at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. She also recently established Indigenous Wellness Services, a mental health therapy and consulting business which offers a decolonized approach to mental health treatment. Holly is well versed in understanding the impacts of intergenerational trauma as it relates to Indigenous communities. She seeks to collaborate with organizations to enhance Indigenous cultural safety to improve service and engagement. She is passionate about creative self-expression and self-determination through writing, storytelling, dance, and music. Welcome to our podcast, Breathe In, Write Out, Holly. Thank you so much, Lisa, for inviting me to be a guest on your podcast. You're welcome. Um, So you've been working in the mental health field for some time now. What kinds of struggles do you often hear that students face compared to those in other stages of life? Yeah, so being a a student, typically, you know, the majority of students are under the age of 25. And that's a really interesting time in people's lives because people are still finding out about their identity, their brains are still developing and combined with a, you know, a high stress period of time being in school. Um, There's a lot of social pressures and expectations, um, either from family, uh, from themselves. It's a highly competitive environment. And with the impacts of social media, there's a lot of kind of just social pressures. And um, in in addition to the, um, you know, the upheaval that COVID-19 has been having on the uh, 
kind of society as a whole, there's these additional pressures of just uh, being a student and trying to manage workload, um, finances, home life, personal life, and just an overall kind of balance. Yeah, I'm seeing that a lot with my students. They're having a hard time because they aren't going out to class. Mm -hmm. Staying motivated is really challenging and not seeing their friends, especially international students who are still here and, you know, far away from their family. It's been pretty tricky. Mm -hmm. There's um, a huge impact of the, the impacts of social isolation and just kind of the disruption of normal routines and activities that people were engaging in. It's just things have kind of been um, really disrupted by the restrictions with COVID-19. And that can also have a lot of impacts on um, people's mental wellness and mental health. So I deal with a lot of students who are coming to me maybe after they've failed an assignment. Um, sometimes it gets to the point where they're in academic probation. And I kind of exist because the university is providing um, some supports to students, but not enough to kind of prevent them to get in that kind of situation. What, what do you think is going on? Why do you think um, there are delays for students reaching out for mental health or what kind of barriers do they face just in general and then maybe more so like during COVID? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's, there is a lot of stigma around the topic of mental health and mental wellness in general. And I think it, there's a lot of fear and anxiety around even kind of um, around asking for help or saying I'm struggling in this certain yeah. area or I'm having a rough time. Um, uh, and sometimes it's even difficult. I know that this is something that I dealt with personally, just knowing where to go to for help without, with, uh, without the fear of being judged or, um, people taking me seriously or, you know, are people going to understand me what I'm going through? And so I think for me personally, that's something that ha had prevented me from, from reaching out for help and trying to manage and cope with those pressures and those expectations in a way that wasn't always the healthiest. And so when those get um, those kind of pressures, they start to mount and increase. And then it gets to a point where things get really overwhelming and different areas of um, your life become can become impacted by yeah. that. And sometimes it takes um, things like, you know, failing an assignment or just things that kind of are a bit of a wake up call that you need to be um, paying attention to things like, uh, you know, your stress levels and your anxiety levels and different areas of where your life might be kind of going out of balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't think we have that awareness when we're just starting college or university, or at least I didn't. If I think of me at that age and I often say to my students, well, man, you guys are like 
more aware and taking better care of yourself um, than me. So I think at that age, I think that's pretty uh, typical. And it's kind of curious, why don't we teach kids this at a younger age? This is, is something that kind of even just talking about basic emotions or feeling states is something that it seems very basic or it seems very kind of, you know, that it should be taught in school or just kind of being able to know how to manage, not even manage, but just be okay with feeling emotion. Like I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of fear and misconception about even just having an emotion and that means weakness or that means that you know, there's just, there's so much stigma around um, being overwhelmed or like showing fear or showing sadness or showing grief or saying that I'm not having a, a good day or I'm struggling. And uh, so much kind of suffering could be avoided by just kind of being able to deal with the overwhelm and the emotion and just kind of kind of going through that and having a safe place to do that without being judged or ridiculed or being made to feel that you are, um, there's something wrong with you by just, you know, having a human emotion. Yeah, I know it's, it's very strange. Mm -hmm. We live in a strange culture. I, cause I, you know, if you spend time with little kids, like kids who are about two to five, they're, they have some big feelings and like once, they learn the words for those feelings they might not um they're pretty like hey i'm sad i'm mad i'm they're pretty aware they're having big feelings like if someone teaches them you know what's the name for this you know if and then the older we get we kind of forget that that's even a part of our human existence we kind of like especially in West, in, in North America, we kind of shut that down and then don't talk about it. And, you know, if anyone replies to, how are you today with sad, tired, mm, <laughs> they'll get a funny look like, wait a minute, you didn't say good. I don't right. know how to respond. I don't know how to deal with sadness. Are <laughs> <laughs> you telling me you're sad? Um, but yeah. yeah, I think, so that's a good point. Um, you know, when small children are having big emotions, it is the, it's the responsibility of the, the adult caregiver to help that small person to be able to deal and to comfort them and to soothe them and to reassure them that they're safe or that, you know, to console them if they're upset or if they're hurt. And if that doesn't happen, or if those emotions are punished, then we kind of grow up learning and believing that emotions are bad and that we should do whatever we kind of can to shut them down or to hide them because if they've been punished rather than um, you kind of being met with support or care, then that can kind of create these situations in adulthood where um, emotions are kind of seen as bad or something to be feared or something that, you know, you, you shouldn't show to people because, you know, you're either going to be punished for it or it's just something that is, um, you should be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. and that really sets 
sets us up as adults for um, difficulty in dealing with stressful situations. Yeah, we have no cope, coping skills. You know, interestingly, I don't remember crying until I went to university. And it, it wasn't until I had a partner who was more emotionally open and mm-hmm. then it was like a safe place to cry. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, uh, I've kind of like an old school family. You know, we don't talk about, we talk, we can get, you can get angry, it's logical, but a lot of emotions don't exist. Um, but I just want to put out there, you know, um, for students who might be hearing this and be thinking, oh my God, that's me, I'm doomed. Uh, that you, you can heal these things through a lot of work. And, there, and there's resources out there that can help you to work through that. So I'm sure we'll talk about that more in the podcast, but just, you know, there is hope. There's always t- a place and a time for growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me personally too, um, that's something that I, it took a long time for me to kind of come to, come to terms with was just the fact that how much I was struggling with my own emotions or my own, you know, anxiety or judgment, um, shame, guilt. And it took a long time to just to understand that those are feelings. Those are emotion, emotion states that are, um, telling me something about my environment or I'm being triggered about uh, something that happened early on that was really painful. And, you know, just being okay to express that and having a safe place to express that, whether that be with um, people that I trusted, informal supports like friends, Mm -hmm. um, colleagues, and then finding my way into doing my own therapy for myself. Mm -hmm. It was really beneficial just to be able to express those really um overwhelming emotions that had sort of been um that had been pent up and that I was pushing away um but they need to come out and they need to be expressed and the more that we kind of push them away or um avoid them it just prolongs the suffering and they're they're gonna have to come out one way or another and sometimes that's through emotional expression or what you were talking about in terms of anger. Anger is usually a mask for fear or anxiety or something else that is less acceptable than anger. Mm-hmm. And another way that it, that it can come out is through you know, the impacts that it has on your body. And when you keep things in and uh, you're kind of holding on to those emotions, it can start to have physical impacts on on our bodies and so it's important that there's a safe way to kind of express that yeah yeah that's really important and and I think that's something this is my personal opinion that schools need to think about more and just even the way they deal with teaching students and giving feedback and what we're teaching in the class and stuff like that um so it's it's a big it's a big thing that takes more than one podcast to talk about and resolve. But I'm glad we're talking about it because, like, even in my own experience, I didn't. I don't think I even knew what feelings I was feeling. Like, I had to figure out, oh, what is this feeling? What name is it? And 
And, but I think through that process, it really helped me to be less afraid. Like, cause I think sometimes people can be afraid of their feelings, especially if they're really strong or they're sensitive people. We did a podcast with someone who identifies as a highly sensitive person, an introvert. And she talked about, you know, what she need, how school was challenging because of all the stimulation. And we talked to a life coach about resilience and how, you know, a lot of resilience is being in tune with your feelings and listening to them and understanding what they're trying to tell you mm-hmm. that they're as useful to you as your rational thought. That if you put these two together, you can become, you know, a very, I don't know, I don't want to say successful, but you can maybe like feel more balanced or confident or grounded or kind of able to move through life as your authentic self. Mm -hmm. Balance those two. Yeah. And fear of the fear of emotions and fear of feeling is a huge, um, it's a huge reason why, what kind of leads to things like um, other really more significant um, anxiety disorders mm-hmm. is that the being phobic of the emotion itself that it's either going to and, and people have different belief systems around like what would happen to them if they were just to feel yeah and, and what that would look like and I know for myself it's just like it's I'm going to be sad and it's never going to end like there's no end to the sadness or there's no end yeah. to or I'm going to go you know I'm going to go crazy if I allow myself to think about this and it's never, it's just going to be that way forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that really makes a lot of sense in terms of kind of just going through that and being in a safe place where you can talk about what's happening, feel the feeling, and then they sort of kind of come and go as waves. And part of the, part of that is just being able to kind of ride the wave out. Um, and it can feel ch- really choppy and uh, kind of overwhelming in the beginning. But over time, if you just kind of ride it out, it the waters will calm again. And you can kind of see things more clearly. And what that person was talking about in terms of the, you know, the, resi- the resiliency piece mm-hmm. is just knowing that you can go through that and come out the other end and you're still going to be okay. Yeah. Whether you have a, you know, an anxiety attack or a panic attack or um, you do something and you're like really embarrassed by it. And, you know, I've had instances where I had a lot of fear around public speaking, for example, or getting up on stage and doing presentations yeah. and not wanting to do it. And then having to do that for work, getting up on stage and having a complete panic attack on stage and mm-hmm. bombing my presentation. Yeah. And that was for me at that time was the worst thing that could have happened. It was really uncomfortable. Yes, I was embarrassed, but it's something that it's like, okay, I kind of got that out of the way. It wasn't so bad. Was it embarrassing? Sure. But I'm, you know, the next time I got up on stage, it didn't go so bad. And then I just kind of kept on doing it. And that's where that resiliency piece comes in. I just kind of Mm -hmm. going through and being okay with, uh, accepting what you're feeling and whether you're feeling embarrassed or whether you're feeling ashamed or guilty or, you know, all those emotions that we t- 
tend to not like to feel, right. there's still emotions, just like the, the more positive ones, like happiness or joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I think, um, just from the point of view of a teacher, is that these emotions are there to teach you things. They might be uncomfortable in the moment, but maybe that's because, you know, it's kind of a way for you to not do the same thing the same way, depending on the situation. But the, I mean, the public speaking. So it didn't, you got anxious, it didn't go well, you felt embarrassed. And in a way, those emotions are kind of like popping up to make you sort of sit there and reflect and think, okay, you know, how am I going to do this differently? What can I do? What do I need? Do I need supports? Do I need to prepare more? Do I need to do this in a smaller, front of a smaller group of people first? Like that kind of thing. But the one I think is really um, important that people like to avoid is guilt. And I think if, if people allow themselves to feel guilt, not shame, I'm not talking about shame. Shame makes you feel really crappy. But guilt, when you're like, okay, I made a mistake, you feel bad about it. Like maybe you didn't do too well on your assignment or you didn't study for your test or you were in a group project and you let your partner down. You feel bad about it. You know, feel that feeling. And then the point of it is then think about, okay, you know what? So now what am I going to do? What am I going to do to kind of like repair this situation to kind of release the fee I don't know I don't I'm not really I'm not sure the correct terminology but I think that I'm what I'm trying to say is it's useful it's useful to feel these feelings no matter what situation you're in and even if it's tricky mm-hmm. and they're there to to give you some valuable information yeah and I think all of the, the all the emotions like there's I think there's seven primary emotions or something like that and they're all we need all of them. Um, we can't get rid of them. Uh, they're what makes us human. They're kind of what defines us as uh, being human is to have emotion. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are messengers. They are te- like they are telling us something that we're experiencing in our external environment. And um, like fear, for an example, we 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 do need. To, have, to experience fear because that's how we keep ourselves safe. That's yeah. what alerts our, our, ourselves to things that are unsafe in our environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes if, it, if uh, those fear responses are kind of being triggered by a lot of different things in the environment, then it can kind of lead to things where those, those fear responses and those um, bodily, bodily responses to that are just... Uh, hyper responding all the time and then that can create some problems but the fear and the guilt those are all and 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 shame even you know there's there is there needs to be a balance of those and we're never not going to feel those feelings and I think it's important to uh kind of just have some acceptance of that that you're not always going to feel life isn't always about achieving happiness in the same way that you know that's that's not living in balance either yeah and I think things like social media are they give the impression that there's people out there who are just living perfect lives and what you see on social media is just 
you know, how they, how they're living their lives. And it's just, it's a complete falsehood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of different people are struggling with all sorts of things that you wouldn't really be aware of. And right. part of that is just uh, feeling like you're the only one that this is happening this is happening to and no one could possibly kind of understand what you're going through but when really this is a really universal experience that most people grapple with every day yep yeah it's just being a human mm-hmm. being a human is tough mm-hmm. <laughs> yes it is <laughs> there's a that, lot of uh, ups and downs yeah and there's a lot of there's a lot of suffering in human human life, no matter who you who you are. There's challenges, there's loss, there's all kinds of things that we need to draw on supports and our um, support networks and our support systems and our families and friends and chosen family and uh, to get through those times because it's um, it's to be expected that there's going to be difficult times and um, good times as well and everything in between in between there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think something I struggled with when I was younger was feeling like when those bad times would happen, which are just a part of life. I mean, we can't avoid death so far. We haven't figured that out. Um, we can't, I mean, People are going to break up with you. Friendships sometimes fall apart. Sometimes you try something, it doesn't go the way you wanted, and you quote unquote fail, although I'm not sure that's a failure. But these things are going to happen. And I think because of this perception, like you look over at someone else, just like you were saying on social media and whatnot, and you, and you see some outside view and you think, well, that's not happening over there. I would feel like that, oh, okay, like this is my fault. And then it would kind of um, make it worse. And I think that's kind of a common thing when you're young. If you don't have, if you don't understand, like some, cause you're kind of a little self-centered, I think when you're young, like, and then the older you get, the more you kind of like understand, okay, I'm part of this community. These, I'm not the only one experiencing um, mm-hmm. these different feelings and stuff. So I just I just wanted to put that out there for <laughs> young people mm-hmm. out that you know this it's just life. There's a yeah. lot of things we don't have control over, and it's not your fault. It's it's just happening. It's unfortunate, and um, you know just to find ways to manage it the best you can. Mm-hmm. The key. Yeah, that's one thing I have been working towards myself is just as a lot of acceptance, um, looking at radical, radical acceptance. Um, if you wanted to kind of Google that and take a look at that, at that term and just kind of see what that, see what's been written about it. And it's a part of mindfulness and just accepting things for what they are and accepting your, your feelings for what might be kind of coming up for you. And, um, rather than trying to make sense of it or fix it or judge it or critique it or anything like that. It's just a state of letting things just saying like, this is what's happening in the moment. And there might not be much that I can do to 
change it, but I'm just going to try and get from one moment to the next until, you know, I'm in a place where I can either get support or um, things change for the better. Mm-hmm. But that radical acceptance is something that uh, has really been, had some profound impacts on my own, for my own kind of journey in well towards wellness. Yeah, I, I find when, when I'm in that state of mind, I don't know that I was practicing radical acceptance, but something like that, then actually, like, I don't get as bothered by really annoying stuff. Like one time, now this is not like a big, like horrible thing that happened, but you know, you have sometimes a really bad day. Mm-hmm. And one day, like, I was going to go for a first date with someone, and I got on the bus, and the bus was late, and somebody told me off on the bus, and I'm walking home. And just as I get to the doorstep to go in and to, like, change, another bus came by, and it had rained, and a tidal wave of mud just came (laughs) and hit me. And instead of being, you know, upset, I just burst out laughing. And I said, you know what, universe, like, what is up? Is you just playing a joke on me today? (laughs) And so I think, you know, when you kind of, in that moment, I think I kind of let go of control because, you know, all these things had happened, not according to my plan for the day. And I just burst into laughter because it was like so obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Because... I think some like those kind of things, just these frustrations that happen one thing after the next and just feels like the universe is messing with you or, you know, it's just not going your way. And my previous way of responding to that would have been with frustration or with anger. Um, And the one thing that I've learned is that it actually, that doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't change the situation it doesn't make me on time um it just puts me in a worse mood right and sometimes all you can do is just well for me too like just laugh about it or bring some humor into it Mm -hmm. um and that's that can be helpful to just uh you know get through the situation um yeah it's a it's a humor is a good way to cope definitely yeah I have kind of a dark sense of humor. I think, <laughs> I think it helps. But you know what I, I find the same I haven't run into this situation all the time with the frustration with my students, of course, you know, they're working on a paper and very few people start their papers, you know, well in advance. So you're always at the last minute, oh this and this isn't gonna be perfect and oh something happened, you know. And I just try to be like, okay, you know what, here's where we are. We're just going to do our best, get it out there, hand it in, let it go. Yeah. And then next time, maybe start a little earlier so we can account for these things that are going to happen in life that are going to disrupt our project. But it's not the end of the world, you know, just and, and if you're freaking out, you're actually taking the energy away from creating the product that you're that you're trying to create but oftentimes people think you know oh free worrying is somehow going to get you the end result you want but actually it's 
taking away the energy. There's a really good quote that someone told me that was like, worrying is just the misuse of imagination. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Um, that's, I think that's a fallacy that I believed when I was in school as well, is that if I wasn't in some sort of panic, then I wasn't working hard enough for, <laughs> you know, or I need to be suffering or putting myself through like such a state of anxiety. And if I'm not at that, if I'm not at that state, then I must not be working hard enough. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be that way. It doesn't need to be no. that way. Um, and the struggle with perfection and it, things being perfect as well is, um, it's never, it's never going to be perfect. Things are never going to be perfect. And that's something that, you know, I've also struggled with and have grappled with, uh, and just being okay again with that acceptance that this is just, it needs to be good enough. You have to have a good enough effort. You need to put your best effort in and that's good enough. It doesn't have to be perfect. And even if you're working on things a little bit every day in small chunks, I also have a problem with procrastination and leaving things to the end, but it's like, okay, it's just, I don't know. <laughs> and yeah, I think it's a part of that too, is just being, having some compassion for yourself that, you know, po positive self-talk versus that really critical inner right. voice then that then kind of punishes you for, you know, why did you wait till like the last minute to get this finished? And mm -hmm. you should have started a month ago when you first knew it was due. And those kind of those conversations that we have with ourselves that are really critical and negative, those aren't helpful either. Yeah, yeah I, I actually ban the word should usually. Mm -hmm. I said, I say, stop shooting on yourself. Mm -hmm. And to just reframe it and say, you know what, it might have been better if I started this earlier, because maybe this would have happened. But here I am now doing this. And in the future, I'm going to write this down and say, <laughs> I'm going to put in my book right now that this next project, I'm going to plan to start a week earlier than my original plan or something. But or like, I needed to do this, or I wanted to do that instead of like, should. So you're not having that critical kind of banter in your head that steals your creative energy mm -hmm. um i know that you mentioned you use creative uh expression and i i personally do a lot of journaling and i, I write poems and stuff how how does that kind of help with the therapeutic process well i think for me it's can be difficult and just like working with people in the mental health field as well it's very the mental health system it's it can feel very clinical and it's a lot of either filling out forms or doing an interview with somebody where you're asking questions mm -hmm. and like you had said in the beginning of this podcast like sometimes it's difficult when you ask somebody how they're feeling to be able to put that into words what it is that's kind of going on for them, especially if it's a new, that's kind of new territory for them to kind of be thinking about mm -hmm. what, like, what am I feeling or what is happening or what am I struggling with so that it, it can be 
really difficult. It can kind of, that process can, can create a lot of anxiety as well. And so offering other avenues for people to express themselves, whether that be through writing or singing or walking through the, the woods, for example, or just going for a walk or uh, just doing some sort of activity where you're not just focusing on the words, you're actually using different parts of your brain. Mm -hmm. um, things can kind of come up a little bit more intuitively or naturally rather than just kind of um, sitting in an office and asking somebody how they're feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think movement is very connected to your mental health. In, in my, so I went through a period in my life where I experienced a, a loss and whenever I would go swimming, like I would be fine during the day and I like swimming. Whenever I go swimming, I would start crying. But the thing is, it'd be fine because I was underwater in my goggles <laughs> and nobody could see me. So I would just swim and cry. And somehow I would come out of the pool feeling, you know, physically refreshed from the moving around. But also it would sort of clear some mental blocks, like something was in there mm -hmm. kind of sitting and through the movement, it released it. Mm -hmm. And I would feel a little less grief from that swimming a kilometer or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the physical movement, um, it releases these natural endorphins and chemicals in our bodies that uh, are really helpful to um, kind of move us through those processes of um, overwhelming emotion. Um, and things like grief and loss they, and anxiety and uh, traumatic events, they can kind of, um, they can impact us physically and they can sit in our body in a different way. And sometimes it takes that physical uh, exercise and movement to move that through and to be able to release it mm -hmm. in a really therapeutic way. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about feelings and some people may be listening and be like, oh, you know what? That's how I feel. Okay. This is normal. Or um, maybe they're concerned about a friend or a family member who they feel like, you know, this, I I'm worried about this person and they're kind of how, how they're coping with their feelings. That can be a delicate thing to bring up or talk about. Um, what would you suggest to someone who is worried about and wants to kind of bring up these topics with someone close to them? Yeah, that's definitely, it's definitely a, can be a delicate and sensitive topic, um, especially if the person that you're concerned about, maybe they're not, they don't have an awareness of you know, how they might be impacting themselves or impacting the other people around them. And so it can be kind of a, a sensitive topic. Um, but I think if you're feeling, if the person is feeling safe enough to bring it up in a way to say, hey, like, you know, 
I've just been noticing that, you know, these things have been happening or um, that you seem stressed out. Like, is everything okay? Do you want to talk about it? And um, that can be a, a good way to kind of just check in with people and see how they're doing. But I know that can be, that can be uh, tricky because, um, you know, as we talked about earlier, just the fear, the fear of emotions and the fear of feelings like somebody saying, actually, no, I'm not, I'm not doing well, or I'm not feeling well. And I think what's really helpful for people is just to offer, um, offer that safe space for them to know that you're not going to, you know, whatever it is that they tell you, you're not going to judge them for it, or you're not going to, you know, you're offering them a safe space to kind of tell you what's happening. But yeah, I think first and, and foremost is having your own skills, your own kind of tools to uh, cope in a good way. And if somebody's seeking help or wants help, then to, you can work with them to, or, you know, connect with them to understand what would be helpful for them. There are formal supports in the community um, that are geared gear towards mental health, but there's also, you know, a lot of informal supports, family, friends. Um, I find YouTube very helpful as it's just as a starting out place. If people are kind of just kind of learning about um, mental health and- Are there any like channels you like a lot on YouTube? I listen to um, Richard Grannon. Okay. He has a YouTube channel and he talks a lot about uh, childhood or sorry, complex PTSD. Um, yeah. And just, he talks a lot about boundaries, which are really important. Um, dealing with emotional flashbacks, um, emotional literacy, and I think he would be a good, he'd be a good podcast or a good YouTube channel to check out. There's also, um, her name's Anna Runkle and her, like her YouTube is the crappy childhood fairy. <laughs> <laughs> and she is a, a survivor of complex PTSD. And so she, her YouTube channel is all about kind of her experiences and what's been helpful for her. Um, and there's all sort of there's all sorts of uh, you know topics and and people with lived experience who have gone through these kind of different challenges. Um, it's all it's important to kind of do your research and your you know at your own discretion. Um, but it's you, I find that YouTube is a good place to kind of get started in learning about some mental health topics and and ways to approach. Um, you know, people if they're if they're struggling. That's a good, yeah, and you and you know, usually my students like videos. Mm -hmm. um, but I think something I don't know if you have a suggestion, but on YouTube it can be tricky because there's all kinds of stuff, just like on the internet, whatever. Yeah. What what kind of tips or things could someone look out for to kind of discern? Is this like a reliable or reputable source or is this just like 
someone ranting or having opinions about something is there anything like intuitively or like anything that could help people to sort of sort that out well that's i think that's a hard one to say because there you might find somebody on like a youtube channel for example who doesn't necessarily have a clinical background in um mental health or counseling but they have a lot of lived experience and um you know i it it's that's a difficult it's difficult to, to to answer because um i think it just depends on what is relevant to you and what speaks to you and what you find helpful um because there's also there's um youtube channels where they're from clinicians or therapists um, psychotherapists those you know if they find those helpful um and there there's a lot of them that are out there then those are good ones to to check out i i like um kind of listening to a variety of uh perspectives um people with lived experience uh community members things like that so I, I think I would just use discretion in terms of, um, you know, or, you know, doing, doing your own fact checking and mm-hmm. your own research. Yeah, I, w- I, w- I was thinking because sometimes some channels can actually be anxiety provoking, mm-hmm. like, like 10 ways to beat anxiety, and then it's shouting at you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think, yeah, if that's, you have to kind of do what feels right for you. So if something is like not sitting well with you, um, that's that's fine. You just there's a lot of other, uh, you know, there's other channels. There's something that's more meditative, or somebody has a different approach. So I think it's just whatever kind of you connect with, and you feel like it's speaking to you, and it's it's feels relevant to you. Then I would go with that. Okay. Um, so you have, uh, you're kind of starting an exciting new chapter. You're kind of starting your own thing. Um, can you tell us a little bit about kind of your journey into the mental health field and your new project? And I know that your new project, um, focuses a lot on providing, supports to indigenous communities and maybe tell us a little bit why why that direction yeah so i i no it's it's (laughs) it's uh i think my journey in learning and becoming interested about mental health started when i was in occupational therapy school um it wasn't something that i thought that I would be doing, that that was, that was, was going to be what my career was going to be in mental health. But I became really interested in um, this field due to a placement that I was in. And my first job out of OT school was in an addiction um, outpatient clinic for people with mental health and addiction okay. concerns. And I, in working with 
clients and people who are having these different concerns and just learning about different models of treatment and the different kind of um, mental health diagnoses that were out there. I was kind of just reflecting on those and researching them, uh, them. And I was interested in um, understanding or kind of knowing why addiction, like substance use was, you know, just understanding that. And what I kind of discovered in my research and just, you know, looking at those patterns in my own family and my community is that a lot of that is related to unresolved trauma and psychological trauma. And these are ways that people can cope with things that have been unresolved. Right. And that's when I really started kind of looking at myself and doing a lot of self-reflection work and thinking about my childhood and thinking about my own community living in six nations and the things that I saw growing up and what I experienced growing up, um, looking at the history of Haudenosaunee people um, and just the, like, you know, understanding how recent the the things like the the assimilation policies that were put into place so the residential school system even the the current education system Mm -hmm. and how that's all kind of built on these foundations of uh indigenous erasure basically erasure of culture erasure of language and the impacts of that and that was something that was really profound to me that I kind of made those connections in my later kind of in my late twenties, which I never thought impacted me. I didn't think it was a big deal to me at the time. Um, and when I started digging into that, there was, I had a lot of flood of, you know, feelings and emotions and memories and it, things were starting to kind of click into place. Hmm. And then you know, it's like, okay, so how does that, how does that fit in then with the mental health system and the diagnoses and the things like the PTSD and anxiety? And those are yeah, like, how do those two things, those two worlds kind of connect with each other? Mm-hmm. And that's, I, that's something that I was really interested in doing just for myself, making my own connections with my own um, difficulties and challenges with mental health and emotional overwhelm and things like that and what that's connected to. And I just I just from working in the in the field and working in the system, the system as it is doesn't really kind of take into account the impacts of the historical and current traumas that are currently um, being experienced by Indigenous people. Yeah. And so I decided to start Indigenous Wellness Services, which is still kind of um, in its infancy at this stage. And it's something that I'm, I'm kind of doing on the side. It's, it's a bit of a passion project. 
to kind of be able to put out there the things that I've been learning about and the connections that I've been making for myself in the hopes that other people might be able to connect with those understandings as well. That's really cool. Yeah, thanks. It's, um, it's something that I'm really interested in as well, like just understanding about the, the body and mind connection and the impacts of reconnecting with culture and identity and history, the history of land, the history of, you know, people mm-hmm. and how that all ties in with mental health and wellness. I think it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. I think it's more important than we often think. I mean, I grew up in the countryside, so I feel it when I'm when I'm in the city. Mm-hmm. I have to I have to go in the trees, and then I feel better. So just when you said about the land, and then yeah, I think we forget we're all connected, especially when we're in big cities. Mm-hmm. In our even I live in an apartment, a condo, and you know everybody's in their little unit. But actually we're like so close to each other. Why don't we come out and like realize we're a community, talk to each other and yeah, so all these things, history, connection to land, I think mm-hmm. have a big impact on our mental health. And it's something we need to think about more. So on that topic, what kind of, it seems like your current, this, this project, this passion project, it's filling a gap. You're, you're trying to fill a gap, maybe a gap you discovered in your own healing process. What, what other gaps do you see, especially in terms of providing adequate support to students who um, might be a minority student maybe they're an indigenous student, black student, they feel that, you know, they don't feel heard or they feel unsafe. Kind of what, what can we do? I think the, the gaps within the mental health care system in general is that it's, it's a bit of a one size fits all approach. And so even the mental health services that are offered on campuses, for example, they're not going to meet the needs of everyone. They're not going to be, they're not going to be relevant. People aren't going to connect with them in the way that they were kind of intended to. Um, And so, you know, when I, I can just think of personally trying to connect with mental health supports when I was in, in school and just not really being happy with what was what was available at that time and I I know that things have there's been some improvement in the accessibility of that I don't know to what extent but just having you know there being safe spaces for black indigenous and other um racialized folks to be able to um have access to peer support workers or elders or traditional people or people of their kind of faith tradition there to be able to talk to somebody who um represents them and represents 
they can kind of see themselves in. They represent their community. Somebody who is just, they, there's a familiarity to them. Um, that's something that I feel is missing kind of in the mental health care system as a whole. Mm-hmm. And, you know, particularly on college university campuses as well, there needs to be um, an abundance of safer spaces. And uh, I think more informal mental health supports as well, because the formal supports can often feel they can, you know, sometimes you need some support to even access those because they can feel a bit daunting or intimidating. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been through that. You have to go in, you fill out a form, you're waiting there. You think, oh my gosh, is someone going to see me? I mean, you don't know what's behind the door. It's like, kind of like the Wizard of Oz and the curtain. You don't know mm-hmm. what's behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. It's kind of like, you have to reach a crisis and then you'll, <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be so desperate. You'll be willing to go into that mm-hmm. room that everybody scurries by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, yeah, that's what I feel like is the gap in, it's kind of demystifying mental health or destigmatizing mental health and saying you know I think there's been a lot of work done in the past couple of years just through these campaigns around mental health and talking about it and but there needs to be I think just more informal supports as well and people educating themselves and around emotional literacy and their own emotional literacy and people kind of taking responsibility for themselves and for their own mental health and wellness so that we can also be supportive of other people and be empathetic to what people are going through and that people are struggling, people would be struggling. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a really great point. I I like that a lot. I'm because I'm thinking about, you know, we do so much for physical health. Everybody's <laughs> going to the gym, you know, we talk about diets, you know, we admire people who are really physically fit and then somehow like mental health is this separate thing and I I think you're right we have to kind of change the way we think about it and I often tell um my students like if they're struggling and they want to talk to me about this kind of stuff something I tell them is listen I go and see a therapist regularly and it's and I tell them it's like going to the gym for my mind it doesn't mean that I have like a lot of, I'm, I'm necessarily going through something. I'm actually doing this as like a maintenance. Like mm-hmm. I'm investing in these different things in the same way people invest in eating healthy and, you know, going for a jog or lifting weights or getting enough sleep that this is just part of being a healthy human being. And you don't need to go into a counselor's office to, to take care of it the same way you don't need a personal trainer, you know, to be physically fit, but you need something, mm-hmm. you know, you need something. And, and, you know, so I, I really like that you're brought up these informal supports and also that they, they suit people's lived experiences. So I've had, situations sometimes with international students and they've gone to go to seek some help 
But because they're coming from a different language and culture, even though the therapist has the best intentions, sometimes they don't understand the complexity of the family dynamics and stuff because they're not familiar with the culture. And mm-hmm. something can be very different in a North American family. Like the, the, the structure, the way you interpret things, it's very different because of the culture. And if you're not familiar with these cultural norms, it's sometimes hard to, to, to give the support that that person needs. And so this kind of one size fits all, I think that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. And I think the system tries to do the best it can, but it's it doesn't it kind of misses out on uh, a lot of you know different populations and different communities who might not find that approach relevant or effective. So I think there's a definite need for different ways to think about mental wellness and coping strategies and things like that and even those words like coping strategies like that might and and these this notion of safety what it means to be safe um that might look like something else or there might be another name for it or a different way to just to describe that um depending on you know who you're talking to but you know it's just trying to understand how you can help somebody or how you can support somebody through a difficult time. And also that it's, it's okay to not be doing okay, not to be feeling okay. It's okay to feel like you're struggling sometimes, or, you know, I think there's a lot of, like I was saying earlier, there's a lot of pressure to be happy or to present to the world that like everything's going great. And when it's not, then it's, you know, but I mean, there's something wrong with you yeah that your life isn't perfect or something it's just life even really mentally healthy strong people have bad days Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and that's I think that's a sign of yeah wellness is that that you can you're able to kind of go with the flow and manage those um manage the ups and the downs and the kind of the the, the curveballs that get thrown sometimes at you. So I have two kind of quick questions about resources. Um, are there any alternative mental health services, say in the Toronto area, that you might recommend to students who are trying to maybe look for something off campus? And, and then also, I want to talk a little bit about books resources off campus um that might be sensitive to say it's an indigenous student or black student or someone from a different culture i actually i find um resources on instagram actually there's a lot of uh and and facebook like just people who are promoting or um promoting kind of specific therapy for um for the black community for example um i know that they're i don't have the name of them on you but there's a 
they were doing some fundraising in the in the summer to provide um, therapy for um, for the black community. Okay. And so I would just I would look at those resources um, for Indigenous students. There is the uh, the non-insured health benefits program, which okay. has um, there are registered mental health therapists who access this program. And basically, you can if you're an Indigenous student and you have First Nation status. Um, you can access a you can access therapy sessions for that that are covered through your status card. Okay. And you basically can find a therapist by uh, contacting the non-insured health benefits program and then reaching out to those. Uh, there's a whole list of Toronto therapists who offer um, their services to uh, Indigenous folks, either with a status card or if for Inuit people okay. who have a I believe they, they have a registr registration card as well okay that's good to know so Instagram search Instagram search social media for the kind of kind of support you might be interested in follow someone get to know them mm -hmm. if that's a good fit or um, look into what government supports are available to you uh, based on your status. Yeah, there's so I'm not really familiar with this. So <laughs> it's a so it's the um, for indigenous folks who have a status card, mm -hmm. our healthcare benefits come through non-insured health benefits program. It's a it's a okay. long process, but basically um, indigenous folks have access to have their therapy sessions covered for free. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and what is there ever a student who is Indigenous that doesn't have a status card that might be able to get one? Like, would there ever be anyone listening who is, is wondering about that, but they don't necessarily have the paperwork? Like, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> probably asking questions people might already know the answer to. Yeah, sometimes uh, it can be difficult to, um, it's a long process basically to to access that for people who um, for whatever reason have lost status or their family has lost status. Okay. I'm not sure what the process is to um, to get that back, but it, it's, it can be, um, it can be a long process and uh yeah i'm not too i'm not too sure about that who someone might contact would they just contact the about the status card yeah it would be indigenous affairs indigenous affairs uh so the federal government mm -hmm. okay and what if someone um, identifies as Indigenous but doesn't have a status card? Is like, what options are there? Do you know of any in the community? Um, there's Anishinaabe Health Toronto. Okay. So they have they're kind of a a community health service, and they offer primary, like physical and mental mental health programs. Okay. 
they also have um, elders and healers as a part of their program as well and they do ceremony mm-hmm. so they would be a good they would good, be a good uh, agency to connect with okay and native child and well uh, native child and family services of Toronto okay. they also have some some programming that's available okay um, yeah. because someone someone might be indigenous but not from Canada and then you know <laughs> they can't access mm-hmm. yeah no they could maybe check out some of these community groups mm-hmm. yeah um so in terms of uh i like books what book might you recommend to a student who maybe's realized from listening to this or is thinking about hey maybe i went through some trauma and it's affecting me what is a good book they could check out well, some of the, the the books that I enjoy reading about trauma are um, they're a bit more kind of clinical in nature, but mm-hmm. the one that I really like is um, "The Body Keeps the Score." Oh yeah, by Bessel van der Kolk. So he's uh, he's kind of a top trauma expert. Um, from the states and he does a lot of research around kind of psychological trauma and how it impacts your body Uh and he's a strong proponent for uh, you know movement and creative expression and uh, those types of things to be able to um, to heal Uh from that and in that book, he kind of talks about the the biology and the psychology around trauma and how it impacts us in, in those ways. So I find it really interesting because it it's more of like a, um, it's an explanation of how trauma impacts the body and some different ways of how we can uh, cope and, and manage with that. Mm. So that's a good one. I also uh, really like Pete Walker's book, um, and it's healing from complex PTSD. Okay. And that one has been, that one was really impactful for me. He talks about the different ways that we kind of, um, uh, the ways that, uh, complex PTSD, uh, creates ways in how we kind of respond and interact with the world and um I got it on an audio book and it was it's completely yeah I was fascinated with it okay great and he's also a he's also a survivor of complex PTSD as well so it's kind of coming from somebody with that lived experience background as well so you have kind of a more academic book recommendation and then kind of combo you know, academic and lived experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pete Walker is also a, a therapist as well. So he's a therapist as well. He's also done a lot of healing from complex PTSD. Okay, cool. So thanks so much for joining us, Holly. Oh, it's been a great pleasure to, to chat with you about mental health and mental wellness. It's something I'm really passionate about. So thanks for having me. You're welcome.
So if anyone wants to find out more about Holly and her new project, she has a bunch of different ways you can find her. Um, probably the best way is her website, which is www.indigenousot.com. Um, and you can email her at holly.smith at indigenousot.com. She's also on LinkedIn and Instagram at indigenous underscore OT. So check her out, check out her new project. Um, see if it, see if she can help you in any way. And if anyone has a question or inquiry or anything about this podcast, like, is it okay for them to just shoot you an email, Holly? And yeah, okay. that'd, yeah, that would be great. Okay. So stay tuned, everyone, for a brief meditation and reflective writing exercise. During this breathing meditation, you will focus on your breath. This will calm your mind and relax your body. There is no right or wrong way to meditate. Whatever you experience during breathing meditation is right for you. Don't try to make anything happen, just observe. Begin by finding a comfortable position, but one in which you will not fall asleep. Sitting on the floor with your legs crossed is a good position to try. Close your eyes or focus on one spot in the room. Roll your shoulders slowly forward and then slowly back. Lean your head from side to side, lowering your left ear towards your left shoulder and then your right ear toward your right shoulder. Relax your muscles. Your body will continue to relax as you meditate. Observe your breathing. Notice how your breath flows in and out. Make no effort to change your breathing in any way. Simply notice how your body breathes. Your body knows how much air it needs. Sit quietly, seeing in your mind's eye your breath flowing gently in and out of your body. When your attention wanders, as it will, just focus back again on your breathing. Notice any stray thoughts, but don't dwell on them. Simply let the thoughts pass. See how your breath continues to flow, deeply, calmly. Notice the stages of a complete breath. From the in-breath, to the pause that follows, the exhale, and the pause before taking another breath. See the slight breaks between each breath. Feel the air entering through your nose. Picture the breath flowing through the cavities in your sinuses and then down to your lungs. As thoughts intrude, allow them to pass and return your attention to your breathing. See the air inside your body after you inhale, filling your body gently. Notice how the space inside your lungs becomes smaller after you exhale and the air leaves your body. Feel your chest and stomach gently rise and fall with each breath. 
Now as you inhale, count silently. One. As you exhale, count. One. Wait for the next breath and count again. One. Exhale. One. Inhale. One. Exhale. One. Continue to count each inhalation and exhalation as one. Notice how your body feels. See how calm and gentle your breathing is and how relaxed your body feels. Now it is time to gently reawaken your body and mind. Keeping your eyes closed, notice the sounds around you, feel the floor beneath you, feel the clothes against your body, wiggle your fingers and toes, shrug your shoulders, open your eyes and remain sitting for a few moments longer Straighten out your legs and stretch your arms and legs gently. Sit for a few moments more, enjoying how relaxed you feel and experiencing your body reawaken and your mind returning to its usual level of alertness. Slowly return to standing position and continue with the rest of your day feeling re-energized. Thanks everyone for listening to our podcast and our interview with Holly Smith today on mental health and addiction. I hope that you are feeling relaxed and grounded after that meditation and you have your pens and paper ready for a quick writing exercise. As usual, I like to recommend or talk about a book I've read that has been meaningful to me and is related to the topic of the podcast. And today the book um, I want to talk a little bit about is called The Places That Scare You, A Guide to Fearlessness in Difficult Times by Pima Chodron. And Pima Chodron is a Buddhist monk. She has a few different books. And I really like this book. I read it during a difficult time in my life. And it taught me a lot about what compassion is and kind of why it's important to cultivate it in yourself. And that actually the more compassionate you are for yourself, the more compassionate you can be for others. So I just wanna start off by reading a quote from the book, chapter eight in the book, the chapter on compassion. And I want you to take a moment to reflect on what this quote means to you or what you think about it. So the quote is, Compassion practice is daring. It involves learning to relax and allow ourselves to move gently towards what scares us. The trick to doing this is to stay with emotional distress without tightening into aversion, to let fear soften us rather than harden into resistance. So just take a moment to really reflect on what that means and how for a lot of you, it might be very different from how we conceptualize strength or even caring for ourselves or others. 
can pause the podcast if you like. So the second thing I want to think about and write about today is what she talks about kind of leaning into that fear instead of putting up walls and tightening up and fighting against it, but just to gently move through that fear. I'm wondering if you can take a moment to recall an experience that was very frightening to you. Maybe as a child, you imagined vampires in the closet as I did, or maybe something very scary happened later in life or even as a child. And just to take a moment to reflect and to write about that experience and be aware of the feelings that are coming up for you and not to fight them, but to put them down on the page, to, to, to create a story, to even list different emotions, to maybe a poem is a better fit. Maybe you just want to write some curse words down on the page. But to take that fear and move it through you right onto the page. So that's my challenge for you for this week's writing exercise is to recall a very frightening experience, to stay with it and to transform it into something on the page, a poem, a a story, a brief description, a bunch of words, Just put it out there, move through it gently and softly. So I want to thank everyone for listening to our podcast. Um, It's been a lot of fun putting it together. And it really means a lot to me that people are actually listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show. And to find out more about us at FAO Academic Writing, you can check out our website at www.fao.ca or follow us on social media at FAO underscore academic writing. And FAO is spelled P as in Peter, F as in Frank, A as in Apple, U as in Unicorn. If you need any extra support with your academic studies or writing skills, send us a message anytime We look forward to helping you reach your full potential on the page and in life.